All right, folks, we are back. It's Sean Zock and Dylan DeChair. This is The Drop Zone. Tons of great feedback from last week's interview with George Gangus. We hope to get just as in-depth and even a bit nerdy in our discussion today with Brandel Chambly. Brandel. Nerdy but cool, Sean. Nerdy but cool. If you don't know Brandel, it's kind of wild, but he is an on-air analyst for the Golf Channel. He's got his own podcast over at Golf Channel with Jaime Diaz. Love both of those guys. We sat down with Brandel for 50 minutes at Pinehurst at the Top 100 Teachers Summit to talk about everything from his work with the Golf Channel on the air, live from at the majors, to his research about the golf swing, his own attempts to play competitively again. I think you will enjoy it. But first, this episode of The Drop Zone is brought to you by Whoop. It is a fitness tracker that you wear on your wrist. It tracks everything. You check your phone for all the information on your sleep, your activity, your restless nights, how much strain you have put on your heart and your body, you should try Whoop, but you should do so with a discount. Go to whoop.com, enter the code DROPZONE, that's D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E, that's us, for 15% off your membership. Get involved, folks. Dylan, you geeked out during our convo with Brando. Oh my God, I loved it. I mean, he's one of the best pure talkers. Yeah in the world of golf, right? You know, you talk about, uh, people will say when Rory's at his best, no one can beat him. When Brandel is at his best, no one, <laughs> no one can, can beat him. <laughs> no one can beat him in the world of talking. He elevates the game of talking about golf. He's an entertaining watch. You know, there's a reason that when we get home after covering majors all day, we still flip on live from. It's crazy to me. And we will do it though. And Brandel has a lot to do with that. I mean, it's a great production from top to bottom, but his voice, sometimes it's a little bit ridiculous. It's a little bit, it's like 10% more than people <laughs> think it should be, which yes. is why he catches all that flack. But look, he's an entertainer and he is a really, really thoughtful guy. He does his research. And I think that that comes through in this interview. It definitely does. I've known Brandel a little while. He is always a good hang, always down to share information. He's all about the uh, the exchange of ideas, Sean, the, the marketplace of ideas. Of ideas. Yes. Uh, we, we could have talked with him for 90 minutes, two hours probably, but we had to all get to dinner. So without any further ado, here is Brandel Shambly. We are down here at Pinehurst with, I think, the only Brandel in golf that I know, Brandel Chambly. <laughs> Do you have another Brandel in your phone? Uh, my son, my oldest son, is... Uh, junior. Is junior. Okay. Yep. And I've had two or three people over the years write me and tell me that they, they name their kids. So there must be after a, few, a few, a few, I don't know, oh. they, name them after me. they <laughs> like the name or whatever. By. Not a but common I, name. I, I burdened my oldest son with the name, and he plays a little bit. Uh, the last time we went out and played... Uh, he hadn't even warmed up, and he airmailed me with his first tee shot. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten a little longer since then, so I was going to say, I think, "Wait a minute!" I think I could take him right now, but I'm not sure. You've got he, some speed. We just got saw some, some back. We Jeez. saw you out there tinkering around. Yeah, yeah, I've got some back. So you know, again, that's part of why I'm trying to play again is that I'm using myself as a guinea pig for yeah all these ideas. But it's good to be one man, like a one name person, right? <laughs> like all those. Yeah. Actors and actresses and singers LeBron, and Kobe, Beyonce, Brando. Brando. <laughs> yeah, I go by a lot of different names. Some of them are far more derogatory yeah. than others. But, uh, but yeah, I get called a lot of different names. But I think you're also beloved in many ways for 
how you exist as a broadcaster, as an analyst on the broadcast. I think it can be polarizing at times. Some people with the last name Kepka don't like you. <laughs> but a lot of people are like, you know what? Brandel tells it like it is. And I'm, I'm sure that that is not something that came natural to you right away. Like you had to be no. developed a little bit. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, you know, the first two, three, four years, I think I was doing TV. And, I, and I've talked to other people. I think most kind of get into TV and they don't, they don't really know what their voice is going to be. They yeah. don't know how to be themselves. It sounds ridiculous, right? How could you be anything else but yourself? Yeah. But you come into the business with an idea of those you love and how they sound and what they do. And, mm-hmm. and, and you can't help it. it. It's a bit like when you get out on the tour, you look around, you want to swing like Watson or Tiger, and you want to sound like these different commentators and do like it the way they do. would that be for you? Well, you look, I grew up, and McCord is a great friend of mine, mm-hmm. and I, I love his intellect and wit and reverence. Um, but at the same time, you know, I loved – Bob Costas and I love Jim McKay and mm-hmm. so you, you start to listen to those and you know you think I love Jack Whitaker so you you listen to all those and you think well you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do it that way and then, and it's not until you figure out one you can't be anybody else but yourself but two what that means and for me it meant um, I'm I have a, a, a never-ending curiosity to know why things happen mm-hmm. so it's you know I love to dig and then I get you know, I can't tell you how excited I am when I'm digging and I find stuff and it takes me to other places. And I think, I can't wait to share this with the audience. And by the time I arrive at it, it seems so self-evident to me that, you know, for, you know, and, and invariably people will, will take exception to it. Sure. But I generally try to think of all the exceptions to yeah. whatever it is I'm about to say and think, are they valid? You know, and, and mm-hmm. if they're, how could I refute them? What's the counter to those? So that, you know, you, you think about something in 360 degrees. And then, you know, we have an audience, a, a wide audience that does not really, I mean, professional golfers make up a very, very small percentage of yes, our audience. very much. So I'm not speaking to them. No. Nope. I'm trying to tell our audience what is exceptional about, that is not obvious. Yeah. Um, about what they're watching. And, and that's not easy to do. No, I mean, when you get into TV, Within a very short period of time, you've told all the stories you can tell about golf. <laughs> you've, 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 you've given every anecdote, every story, and, and you have to work your rear off to have something to say. And you have to do it every single day. And then you have to talk about the same thing you talked about the day before, but you have to say it in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I find it. It's a, it's a lot like golf, you know. Yeah. It's 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 endlessly fascinating. I've seen your notes. Your notes are rather thorough. I think I I can yeah. confidently say, <laughs> but that's what it takes. It sounds like. Yeah, you know, if you were playing golf and you were on TV, I you know I I would chart every shot that you hit, and I would chart where it ended up, what you did, what the swing looked like, and then I would cross reference. I'd go back in and see if you had those tendencies. Hmm. You know, and, and then I would try to, you know, what's, you know, what's going on here? Why is he doing, why is he playing well? Why is he not playing well? Why is he making this percentage of putts? Why is he, why is he hitting it better? And, you know, it, and it gets, and look, I'm going to talk about this some tomorrow, but, but it gets very nuanced. The reason distance is so important to the game is because, again, first of all, the hardest thing to do is hit it long and straight in golf. But if you can hit it 20 yards longer, 
it's not just that you have shorter shots into the green, obviously. It's mm -hmm. that you have a higher trajectory coming yeah. into the green. You have more spin, which means you're more likely to be underneath the hole, mm -hmm. which means that you're more likely to have a putt at on a shot clock or a putting clock at 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock if you play a fade. If you, if the three of us are out playing golf, mm -hmm. and Dylan and Sean, you guys hit 18 t uh, approach shots at 9 o'clock on, on a putting clock. Okay. 10 feet from the hole at 9 o'clock. Yep. And y'all are both better than me at putting. Okay. You're both, let's say you're both 10% better than me at putting. Yeah. If I hit 18 shots at 5 o'clock, mm -hmm. I will kick y'all's ass. You think so? No, I don't think so. You I know, know so. so. I will kick your ass <laughs> because you make about 20 to 25% more putts, all things being equal, from 5 o'clock than you do from 9 o'clock. Okay. So that is why do fades mm -hmm. win more golf tournaments than draws? And why does height, why does trajectory, why did Jack Nicholas want trajectory? Mm -hmm. um, that's the more nuanced part of the game yeah. of golf. It's just like people say you want to be pen high. Of, of course, you want, to, <laughs> you want to hit your numbers. But ideally, yeah. you want to be beneath the hole, mm -hmm. and, and you get far easier putts. You know, the game just gets um, exponentially easier the longer you hit the golf ball. And that's one of the things we're, Lucas and I are going to talk about tomorrow. So are you seeking your own power fade then? Is that part of this process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are right ways and wrong ways to hit the ball further. Now, I will give science a lot of credit. I'll give science and golf a lot of credit. I think that they've, they've, they've caught on on how to hit the ball farther. They've caught on. And, you know, it's a combination of, not to get too much in the weeds here, but figuring out center of mass and center of pressure. Now they have 3D motion capture cameras, and they have force plates. Those yeah. two together give you a qualitative and a quantitative look at how you do it. So they're catching on. But what I have been saying forever is it's just not that complicated. Um, you, you, you can have that if you want because quantitative eyes want to put numbers to it. Yeah. But... The fact is, if you, if, you, if you, generally speaking, move off of the ball, get into your trail heel, and have a, have a big turn and lift your lead heel, you're on your way. So the average tour player from 2007 to 2019, okay, now we've had an increase in technology, much mm -hmm. better shafts, much better fit, and a better understanding of, people call it COR, but it's really CT measurement. They have a better understanding of CT measurement, better shafts, better athletes, taller athletes, Club head speed on the PGA Tour has increased by 1.6 miles an hour. Cameron Tringali last year increased his club head speed by 8.6 miles per hour. The most improved player, strokes gained, tee to green, strokes gained off of the tee, and strokes gained total all the way through on the PGA Tour. He did that doing exactly what I wrote that book about. Exactly. And he did it. He picked up almost 9 miles an hour like that. Did he read the book? Well, I don't know if he read the book. <laughs> he went to Greg Rose yes. and Phillips mm -hmm. at TPI. And, you know, Greg has said that the modern swing is built upon hitting accurate shots. And when you add elements of power, you risk injury. Uh, I would argue that the modern swing has impoverished uh, professional golfers for 30, 40 years. And that what Cameron Trigali did, what Phil Mickelson has done... Mm -hmm. Um, what Sam Snead did, 
um, basically anybody who's played the game uninjured for 30, 40, 50 years, they all have the same sort of uh, common characteristics. But what Cameron Shingali did is he got rid of that uh, lordosis, right, that, that, that concave lower back, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a hypercorrect look. Adam Scott had it for a while. Again, right. I, wrote a, I, put, I wrote a chapter about the hypercorrect ideas of this generation, thinking that if you have great posture and you have that little curve in your lower back, that you've got great posture. Because I, I actually was sitting next to a teacher who's about to go on the Golf Channel, and I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm here to talk about Adam Scott's great posture. And I remember thinking, Adam Scott has crap posture. <laughs> um, it, it looks good. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it looks good. Well, he's you can do a it. nice deadlift from that position. Exactly, <laughs> that's right. If I'm going to do a deadlift, I want my lower back and lower doses. Uh, you know, I, I I want that. But if you're going to hit a golf ball, now look, George Gankus wants it completely flat and your butt right underneath you. But the reason I love George, and I've said this for eons, the first teacher that comes along that teaches teaches an upright swing will be the first teacher that I can think of in. I don't even know how long. Every single teacher is taught a flat yeah. golf swing, and yet mm-hmm. upright swings kick the ass of flat golf swings. And here comes George. So I'm following George on social media. Everybody was saying, hey, your ideas are a lot like George. I don't know who George is. Mm. And I start following him, and I'm like, I like this guy. And by the way, he teaches an upright golf mm-hmm. swing. Uh, you know, An upright golf swing, as George will tell you, among many other things, makes you hit the ball further, which from there – so many benefits yeah. uh, are accrued throughout around. Yeah. So, you know, George is like a godsend, I think, to the teaching industry. Uh, he and Lucas, you know, I, I, I tell Lucas this all the time. Uh, you know, Lucas, we run around. I like Lucas. This is Wald. Lucas Wald. Lucas Wald. I like Lucas Wald. But I'm like, you know, I like you and all, but <laughs> you wouldn't be sitting here in the car next to me if I didn't think you were the best teacher in the world. Yeah. It was like, I, I, I read, I look, I pay attention. Um, Lucas has done what I think is the proper way to get better at something. Find out who the experts are. And by experts, I mean that subset of players. Look, in the Hall of Fame, there's every different way to play golf represented. Every single club. There's people way across Mm -hmm. the line. There's people way laid off. What I'm talking about is the subset of players. It's clear that there are a lot of ways to play the game and get into the Hall of Fame. But within the Hall of Fame, there is a subset of players that hit the ball longer than straighter than everybody else. I'm not interested in all of the different attributes that would get you into the Hall of Fame. A great yeah. short game, great mental strengths, tenacity. What I'm interested in is the golf swings that hit it the longest and straightest, that subset of players. Because when I'm talking about golf swing, I'm only interested in the swings that hit it long and straight. And I'm not interested in mediocrity. A mediocrity. I don't, I don't think we owe mediocrity anything. I think we owe excellence everything. And Lucas has made it his life's work to study and understand with precision the anatomical movements of, of the longest hitters in the game of golf and the straightest hitters and the most precise hitters in the game of golf. And, and to some extent, so has George Gankus. So that's why yeah. I dig what they do. So when you're looking at today's game, who do you think of as falling into that category, the longest and straightest hitters of the golf ball? Well, there's only been three players in the last 11 years lead strokes gain off of the tee. I'm telling you guys know all this, right? It's, it's Bubba Watson, Dustin Johnson, Roy McIlroy. Those are the only three that have led strokes gain off of the tee. So That's kind of crazy. Well, they have the moves, right? Yeah. I mean, so they have the moves. And but there are 200-plus players out there. And there theory, are. There should be. 
but more there than just is three. still a stigma on the tour. <laughs> you know, like Dustin has a funky golf swing, Bubba has a funky yeah. golf swing, and Rory was lucky enough mm-hmm. to be taught by a sort of a, yeah. a grassroots golf professional. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, they were not. They didn't come from big time academies. They would not be the drivers they are if they did because they would have been taught to some aesthetic ideal and they would have been right. stripped of their athleticism. So they have the moves, and, and that's why they continue to drive the ball better than anybody. You know, in, in general, so look at Bubba Watson, right? Now, Bubba's much older than Dustin Johnson, but Bubba Watson is the last person in the world you're going to see in a gym, yeah. okay? And he hits the ball further than Dustin Johnson yeah. when they were both 32, Isn't that okay? So... People love to say that he's got freak hands, and they love to dismiss great success as freakish talent. Not at all. I promise you he's not a freak athlete. He's certainly not a freak physical specimen. I was on tour when John Daly came out, and people was like, oh, he's a freak. Like, I promise you, not a freak athlete. There's nothing special about his body, okay? He's five foot 11, and he's overweight, and he is, <laughs> he's, he's the only person that could hit the ball past Tiger Woods was John Daly. Yeah. Now John Daly's got no business hitting the ball past Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is six foot, six foot one, a physical specimen. He's got incredible flash speed with his hips. Why can John Daly? Why could John Daly hit the ball further than Tiger Woods? Simply because he recruited the movements of his body and he had a more elements of power. Mm-hmm. Now, in no way, shape, or form am I going to sit up there and talk about john daly being a better player than tiger woods there's a lot that goes into that yeah. but when it comes to length the elements of power are more represented in john daly's swing than tiger now tiger gets deep into his right hip still gets 130 degrees of shoulder turn he has all those elements without lifting his lead heel um but you know the the the, the game is slowly trending that direction nothing will improve your game better or quicker than picking up 20 yards, 15 yeah. to 20 yards. There's three mm-hmm. examples that I, I look at that are these, are, these are what the industry should be striving for. In 1990, Nick Price was 97th in driving distance, okay? In 1994, he was sixth. That does not happen, yeah. okay? You can't do that. But he did it. Now, he only picked up about 15 yards, but he did it now by switching to another golf ball. Okay, he okay. was an early... Yeah, he was the old-fashioned way. Right, he was an early adopter of a solid core golf ball meant 15 yards and it meant from him going to 38th in the world to first in the world okay because nobody else had that he had a secret weapon okay they weren't switching to it that's what 15 yards meant to him it was an improvement of i think 0.9 strokes in scoring average means all the difference in the world Annika Sorenstam from 2001 to 2004 picked up 24 yards and she went from being 45th in distance to first in distance. Wow. She improved her scoring average by 1.4 strokes a round. Now, this is consistent with Mark Brody's findings that yeah. if you find 20 yards, and Rory's the perfect example, he's 20 yards longer than the average tour player, you'll pick up, all things being equal, 0.74. So let's call it three-quarters of a shot. There's no quicker way than to gain distance. And there is no quicker way to gain distance than to simply turn more. Mm-hmm. And that's what George teaches, mm-hmm. and that's what Lucas teaches. And we so were just you, experiencing that yeah. ourselves on yeah. the range. That's with right. George. I saw you out oh, there. Man. More turn, more turn. And that posture that you were talking about, yeah. both of us, yeah. Sean could have done a great 
deadlift from his old posture, was actually. Bad. It was so bad. Did you have that? I, I was right in front of Dylan. But now he's achieved enlightenment. He was hitting <laughs> he was hitting hooks on the range today, which is not a familiar thing. No, no. But so what you're saying, though, are you seeing what you're saying? What you just described, are you seeing it within your game? And to what degree? As you're trying to get out and play more, revive a competitive career, are you seeing it? And to what degree? Yeah, I, I am. Um you know, I, I would imagine it's unfortunate. I've got pictures of my swing when I was in college, um, but I don't have video of it. I'd love to have yeah. video of it. But I was closer to doing these things instinctively in college. They don't have video at UT? Well, apparently not. I mean, maybe there exists somewhere video <laughs> of me playing, but I just have pictures. And I was, you know, I was closer to how I swing now or how I'm trying to swing now. But I've spent my entire tour life playing with a restricted hip turn, flex my right knee, um, what what the industry like to call a club head outside my hands and the hands in front of my body, which basically means a restricted upper turn and an arm. And you're uh, being turn. told to do, instructed to do that. Absolutely, yeah. I was being told to do that. You know, uh, I wouldn't have done it of my own accord. Um, I was being told to do that because that's what was on the cover of Golf Digest and the mm-hmm. go- cover of Golf Magazine. Yeah, and it was the X factor, and yeah, it was keep us. the keep the we're not in positions of power. I'm not blaming you, it's, it's, and I'm not even I'm not even faulting the teachers. Right? They yeah. had they had they certainly didn't have Very, harm in their in their Limited information uh, at their, their disposal. And their eyesight, yeah. right? They were making a judgment based upon ideas that they had read about, and they'd sit in a room and formulate it. Look, in Hogan's Five Lessons, he talks about the knee doesn't move, okay? He talks about the right knee doesn't move. He even mm-hmm. said at some point that that was his secret. Mind you, Hogan threw around secrets like <laughs> confetti at a wedding. Yeah, they're not okay? secrets anymore. Right? <laughs> it, it, I, I could, I could... Off the top of my head, I could just give you four what he called his secrets. Mm-hmm. So, so from that, the Harmons got the idea, and I'm I'm guessing because Butch was an advocate of keeping the flex in the right knee, mm. and that's why Tiger had the flex in the right knee. That's why Greg Norman had the flex in the right knee. Anyway, Hogan Hogan didn't do that. You know, he didn't do that. Um, Sam Snead didn't do that. None of them did that. None of them, and certainly not Ben Hogan. I, I got to show you this picture to you. I'm gonna, sh- I'll, I'll show it to Bring you. Out a picture. I'm this gonna, sh- I'm gonna show it for to you. I know yeah. it's great for podcasts, but you guys are gonna <laughs> go wow, and this will be in our uh, our presentation. Lucas and I are gonna do this presentation tomorrow, right? So here is everybody likes to call Lucas Wald a long drive specialist, right? Um, but this is I'm, I've got a picture of Ben Hogan in 1947. And no, Jamie Sedlowski at the top of their golf swing. Now, Jamie Sedlowski is pound for pound the longest hitter that uh-huh. I've ever seen. Okay. Now, that's Ben Hogan in 1947. Yeah. And that's Jamie Sedlowski. It's a side-by-side view, okay. face on. Now, Ben Hogan has straightened his right leg, his trail leg. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's brought the left knee in behind the ball. He's lifted the left heel. And the club is halfway down 40, his back. Yeah. 40 degrees past parallel. He won seven times in 1947. This is the year that he discovered his secret, his secret. One, one of, of many. One of many. Now, he looks identical to Jamie Sidlowski. He does. Okay, identical. Now, I'm going to uh, this will be one of the pictures that we post tomorrow. But Jamie has the moves, okay? Jamie has the moves. He had them until he got them coached out of him because all of a sudden he wanted to play golf, so he yeah. went to another teacher, and they, they made him start swinging slower so he used to have a perfect 21-7 <laughs> tempo, and all of a sudden now he's got 35-7. Uh, 
So Jamie, he's at Q school right now, I think. And Jamie, he shot maybe. 11 over in the second stage mm, and missed. All right. But you can see quite clearly that Hogan and Jamie Sidlowski, now neither of them had video. Well, I'm sorry, Hogan didn't have video. Jamie certainly <laughs> did. But uh, Jamie didn't have a teacher. He came to that intuitively, just as Hogan did. Um, so that's what, that's what we want to do, right? Study what the best is. Study who hits it the farthest, who hits it the straightest, who hits it the most precise. And then try to come up with the most anatomically precise terms mm -hmm. and then train them. Uh, Lucas does a great job at, uh, at doing a lot of research on how to train these movements. And people who master, let's say, a musical instrument, um, they do it very slowly at first and they, they master it slowly before they pick up the speed and the tempo. So there's a definite training process that must be incorporated into um, I was talking earlier to Chris Como, and he was saying, well, you know, we've got to teach average players, you know. And I said, look, that's right. I get that, okay? If you're trying to teach a novice or a beginner player and try to have them where there's, they have some competence in the game, right, that's a completely different game. Yeah. What, that's like a, a psychiatrist trying to teach somebody who's dealing with a lot of issues to live a normal life. What, what I... I would make an analogy to what Lucas and I are trying to do. It's trying to get good players to play or exceptional players to be extraordinary. Yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's almost like sports psychology is to psychology. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to help really good players to do exactly what Cameron Trincali just did, which was in a blink of an eye, get you better. get better. Yeah. You get better. Hmm. Well, that's why you being here is, well, I think it's important because a lot of the people at the summit are focused on helping everyone and that's great and that's important yeah absolutely but at some point they probably take a little bit of a uh, a stance a, a contrarian stance to what you focus on which you know back in 2014 at the summit at duke was like this huge talking point and there was a lot of back and forth about like your what was in your book and the people in the room, what they were getting all riled up about. People got mad. People got I really mad. I was not mad. there, but. <laughs> people got mad. You, you weren't there to keep the peace. You took it really well. It was I, a I, weird thing. But like, what I'm getting to is that yeah. we can't look for Brando Chambly on-air Golf Channel analyst to be a teacher for everyone. But you can still provide a very important piece of the instruction industry Right. Absolutely. I don't. I don't claim to be a teacher. I, yeah. Although you know, I there's there's a part of me that w would love to do it, but I'm under no illusion that I could just walk out tomorrow and be a great teacher. I think it would take a decade. I think there is a it's, yeah. a, it's an art to being able to teach. Um, you know, I, I on the you know I, I just had this conversation with Chris Como. I've had it n numerous times. I, I get more than a few calls a year from tour players asking me to work with him. And in every single really? time, yes, and in every single time, I will say, I'm not a teacher. I'll talk theory with you. Yeah. I'll talk about the golf swing. I'll look at your golf swing and tell you. You've got no issue thing. doing that. But if I was you, I would go find, like, I can recommend a few teachers. You know, uh, I, can, I can tell you some people that you can go sit down and talk with that can probably point you in the right direction. I can sit here and talk theory with you all day long and talk about what I would do if I were in your shoes. But I'm I'm not a teacher. I don't even have the time yeah. to teach. I mean, I, I mean, it's when I, I there's a couple of players that were sending me videos and asking me to help them, and I thought, first of all, this is a lot of pressure. Which I, I I really do want to help you, yeah. but for me to do that, I would have to spend 
two, three, four days really grinding, looking at your stuff, going out and mm-hmm. watching you hit golf ball, spending time with you. And it's like, I've got work to do. I'm busy. And it's like, I don't, I don't have the time to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're all in. And again, great teachers are all in. And great teachers. I gave, I gave uh, Bradley Hughes a lot of credit on the air last week because um, I started diving in to watching Brendan Todd. And I watched his transformation. And Bradley Hughes was able to get him out of the full swing yips yeah. and win a golf tournament. Okay, Now, he did it with the exact opposite thoughts as Mark Blackburn gave Ches Reevy. I just saw Ches Reevy. I was talking to him about, you know, how are you hitting them so straight? What's going on? And he was like, well, you know, Mark got me more shut coming down. I was open. I was more shut in the delivery spot. So now I can just turn and rotate, and I hit this beautiful draw. Well, you go to Brandon Todd, who was being taught to be more shut in the delivery process, right? It's a common thing these mm-hmm. days to be more shut yep. and rotate. He couldn't do it. He'd stand up, get steep, and miss it way to the right. So Bradley Hughes taught him. He said, listen, be more open. Fill the cup. And all of a sudden, he should slam the door. Two completely different thoughts. But they both transformed players. Now, that's teaching because you can't teach every player the same. Like the ideas I'm going to present tomorrow with Lucas, these these are optimal moves amongst the elite of the elite. Okay, that's what they are. But to be able to teach, you got to be able to teach. I mean, why does someone shank? Why does someone hit it fat? Why does someone hit it thin? Mm-hmm. Um, there's incredible nuance to the golf swing. Um, you know, that's that's what Lucas does for a living. Mm-hmm. That's not what I do for a living. All right, Sean, I think that is a good chance to take a break to tell the people about Whoop because today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the fitness tracker that is changing the game. Now, Sean, you know I've got a little bit of a sweet tooth. I like to dabble in the desserts. There's few things I love more than post-dinner chocolate chip cookie. But I've learned some things after some weeks now with my Whoop, and one of those things is that just how much and when you eat and drink, it really affects my sleep, my recovery. Yeah. So I've been learning, hey, maybe eat that dinner a little bit earlier in the evening. You know, maybe skip that nightcap cocktail if I've got something going on the next morning. And I'm just scratching the surface on all these insights, Sean, from my whoop. But I can say I'm loving it. I'm getting a lot on a daily basis. And I'm excited that we can share with our listeners a discount code to get a band of their own. So I want the people to head over to whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com and use the code DROPZONE. That is D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E to get the whoop strap 3.0 for free and get 15% off your membership. Get involved. Unlock that performance, Sean, and start optimizing. Back to Brandel. So one of the things you're touching on here is your relationships with players, which obviously gets you a lot of attention. But like you were saying earlier, PGA Tour players aren't your audience. That's not who you're existing to serve. On our side, Michael Bamberger always reminds us of this. Of, <laughs> look, you're here to serve the Love audience. Michael. You're not here yeah. to you know, make tour players happy or become best friends with these guys. How do you approach that balance? You know, I'd, I'd look, I'd like to think, you know, if, if I were around these tour players, we'd, I, I think we'd be buddies. I, I think we'd be friends. I really do. I, you know, I, if Brooks were sitting across from me, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think we'd, I think we could get along fine. <laughs> um, you know, I think Brooks read the headline yeah. uh, of, of what it was that, 
people love to sensationalize. I didn't say that he wasn't strong mentally. That's preposterous. If you get on the PGA Tour, you're strong mentally. You yeah. have to be. You have to be tenacious as hell. There's thousands and thousands of people want to play the PGA Tour. Thousands. If you make it out there, you're tenacious. Um, what I said was, when asked if he had the strongest mind in the game of golf, that I wasn't willing to cede that ground to him yet, based upon the three majors he'd won, because I thought that they were on pretty soft golf courses mm -hmm. from a driving standpoint. They were more about who could lift the most weight than who could work out 10 moves in advance in a chess game. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and see. But what got written was, Brandel says, Brooks Kepka isn't mentally tough. And Brooks in the media center said, yeah, I got pissed when he – I don't even think he said my name. Maybe he did. But he was like, I got pissed when he said I wasn't mentally tough. And I was like, well, whatever floats your boat. I mean, yeah. if it helps motivate you, it, it helps does. motivate you. That's it seemed to, yeah. But, uh, but I, that's, not, that's not quite what I said. Uh, and then his father, I guess, got upset at me because both Brooks and Chase were playing in the New oh, Orleans event. Yeah, and, so it's beautiful. And, and it's a team event. And they were in the top two or three. They were a couple back. And Brooks was balling out. Right. Brooks, Brooks, was, Brooks is Brooks. He's a phenomenal player. And it's not that Chase isn't a good player, but in no way, shape, or form should another tour player be able to decide who gets on the PGA Tour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if they win a team event, to what extent is that representative of Chase's talent? Mm -hmm. And he would be, in essence, taking a spot from somebody on the PGA Tour when he gained that spot at least half as much by the talent of Brooks Kepka, And yeah. it's not just Chase. No. It's anybody who's in that spot. The yes. tour should not allow a tour player to pick a non-tour player. And if they do pick a non-tour player, that non-tour player, you cannot give them PGA Tour credentials. No. It is no way equitable. Mm -hmm. And immediately Why his father— Why is that father, so hard to agree with? Right, it's not hard to figure with. out. <laughs> and he sent me a message saying, well, you never say anything about Davis Love's son, Drew— playing in all these events. And I say, well, I'm sorry, you, you've got a completely different issue there. Right. It's like if a sponsor exemption, if a sponsor wants to exempt Drew Love yeah. into every event, good for him. And if Drew wins, he's entitled yeah. to a yeah. tour card. That is different Very from a different. team event. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not, I'm not upset that Chase got into the event. Yeah. I'm upset at the idea that he could gain a full tour exemption if they win a team event. So you know, that's why he's on Twitter and taking it, taking a shot. Well, I think poor Drew Love has taken enough heat. That guy, right. Well, right? and he's a fabulous guy, he's right? He's a lightning rod for right. every sponsor's exemption uh, gripe. It just goes straight to Drew Love. How about, uh, well, we just did our anonymous tour pro survey, which hopefully you got a chance to check out. But I think one of the questions was, do you know more about the golf swing than Brandel? <laughs> but I think that the majority said that you know more. So there is that because I know people come at you all the time for whatever reason, maybe because you are willing to put your ideas out there more so than other people in the golf media. You've occupied this well, space he that has is to like as well. Like it's part of his it's part of his job. It to is do your so. job. Yeah, yeah. But other people have that job too. Yeah. And don't attract as much attention. This isn't really even a question. It's just a roundabout <laughs> way of getting into saying you know, do you have the sense that you are a lightning rod and, and you're an easy person for people to, you know, pick yeah. on yeah, as a take smith? Yeah, I mean, I think people are, again, I've said this before, but people are very uncomfortable with answering the question as to why something happened. 
Mm-hmm. They're very comfortable with you telling them what the score was, who won by how much, how far somebody hit it, how many fairways they hit, how many greens they hit. People love that. They fall in love with that. Well, he hit it. You know, he, of course he won. He hit 52 greens and he had 105 putts. Yep. But when you start to tell somebody why somebody hit 52 greens and not 42 and not 62 and why they had 105 putts and not 125, they're like, well, who the hell are you to tell us? <laughs> and how do you know? It's, it's hard and it's to like figure it, out. It's hard to figure which out. You got a part of it. Right, know. it's very hard to figure out. You know what? I mean, you know, if you want to be good at something, you work at it. And it's like I want to know the answers to why. I'm not saying you know they're irrefutable. As a matter of fact, when I talk tomorrow, yeah. I'm going to say none of us are free from contradiction. None of the ideas presented at this seminar are free from contradiction. They can all be contradicted. Every single one of them. But contradiction is fun. It's like, you know, if you don't think my numbers are right, if I'm wrong and you know me to be, please tell me. I'd like to know. But if you have an idea or an opinion to the contrary, I'd like to hear that idea. I'd like to argue with you. Uh, you know, and so that is it. I, I'm, I sit in a spot where I have to answer the question why every two, three minutes. And I think the better you answer the question, the more pissed off people get. Uh, um, it seems like the more pissed off tour pros get. Yeah. Um, and, and that's They're fine. not used to, they're used to being kind of treated with kid gloves, I think. Are there any instances that stick out where you said something or took a stance and then regretted it? Yeah, I mean, of course. The, you know, the, the whole incident with Tiger Woods back in 2013, I could have handled that. I think I could have. Wolf Magazine was at the forefront of that. They, they were. <laughs> yeah. Root of a bunch of these right. issues. Yeah. It was, you know, it, it was, you know, I was controversialized. Uh, and I became the subject of, of that debate more than what was at issue Mm -hmm. and if i had handled it a in a better way a more tactful way then the issue would have been more debate and not me and that's you know look tv is a lot like golf you make mistakes you make bogeys you get it right sometimes you get it wrong sometimes and you know i've made what i've what i've learned is Everybody has a mom or a dad or a brother or sister watching them. And so when you're about to say something, you know, is it right? Is it appropriate? I'll give you an example. There was uh, Spencer Levine. You guys know who Spencer yeah. Levine yep. is? He's, sure. he's, a, he's a, a very talented, hot-headed, sort of, sort of irreverent type of player. And uh, he was uh, smoking and throwing fits and throwing clubs and when he was playing and, and – uh, you know, look, I, I sympathize with, with temper tantrums on the golf course. I, I promise you, you could find video. It, it doesn't exist, I don't think. But if you produce video of me UT throwing a, no a temper tantrum, I'd go, yeah, I've lost my mind playing golf many times. Um, you know, I think it was Bobby Jones who said, I, I'll forgive any behavior of a man when he's got a golf club in his hand. <laughs> okay, and that's a great line. So I see Spencer doing this, and it, it, it makes me chuckle, right? I think it's funny. Now, I get it's not the greatest example for kids. I get that. But I, 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 I get how humbling and frustrating this game is. So I put together a clip of him losing his mind, and then I supported it. I, I didn't say, I didn't condone it. I said, but I understand it, you know, and, I, and it's, it's funny, okay? Let's not, let's not look at this in any other way other than the fact that this is a guy trying to solve problems, yeah. and, and he, he can't get the, quare, the square mm-hmm. peg in the yeah. round hole. And so the next week I was calling live golf at the AT&T at Pebble Beach, and I was in line at a coffee shop, and the lady in front of me, she turns around, and she goes, are you Brandel? I said, yeah. And she goes, I'm Spencer Levine's mother. No. And, and for like a half a second I thought, 
what did I say about Spencer <laughs> Levine? And she goes, and I just want to thank you for defending Spencer. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a hot-headed guy, but, you know, he means well. And I was like, yes, I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. And then I thought, no I left there and I thought to myself, I was like, you know, everybody's got a mother or father or brother or yeah. sister. And, it, you know, one time I was doing a, uh, I was buttoning up a, a story on Jimmy Ballard. And who, by the way, I have tremendous respect for the work that he's done in the game of golf, uh, teaching the game of golf and the players and his theories. His theories are, there's a lot of validity to them. So he, he obviously taught a, a big shift to the right, not much of a turn in the hips at all, sort of a squat into the right hip. I had a good friend of mine by the name of Dillard Pruitt, who's now a, a rules official. And mm -hmm. if you've never met Dillard, he's literally one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. But he was also one of the straightest hitters I've ever seen in my life. One time in the morning, a, a mower strip had been carved out of the middle of the fairway. What is that? <clears throat> is that eight feet wide? Less. Fred Wadsworth was in the group. Can't remember who else. Anyway, we all bet Dillard 25 bucks that he couldn't hit it in that strip. Oh and he God. hit it in that strip. <laughs> That's how straight Dillard hit it. So I always used to call Dillard a rock and blocker. Um, I don't even know why other than the alliteration or the rhyming of it, but the rock and blocker is what I used to call him. And because if you, it kind of reminded me of Jimmy Ballard's move, you know, sort of the sway to the right and the squat and the sway to the left and the squat and the connection. And uh, so anyway, Jimmy Ballard piece appears on our show. At the end of it, I'm, you know, I was like, you know, he's one of the great rock and block teachers. I think that's what I said, something to that effect. And, you know, he took huge offense to it. And, and I thought, you know, lesson learned, you know, um, you can't be flippant. You know, you shouldn't be flippant. This is his life's work. It meant everything to him. He yeah. devoted all of his energy and time. And to have a flippant comment Couple like that words, in any way summarize or represent what he taught was, uh, was, was wrong to me. So, you know, you, you, you taste your words a little longer. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you finish every show and you think, I could have said something a little yeah. more concise or a little better. One of the other tricky things is that oftentimes you're being asked to explain why you're being asked the same questions that we're asking the tour pros, but they suck at explaining why mm. Oh, I hit, 12, they don't know. I hit 12 yeah. greens today. You right. know, I really, or they don't really care struck to, it. Well, why did you strike it? Well, they like, may not those care things, to know. Right. They don't care to know, or they don't care to let you know. They don't right. care to tell you. So that's why right. you exist. You're there right. for a reason. We do need you. Uh -huh. I would encourage your audience to, uh, to look up an essay written by David Foster Wallace. I don't know if that name rings yep. a bell to y'all, but David Foster Wallace, uh, He's, he's passed away, but um, he wrote an essay about that very subject. He wrote an essay about Tracy Austin's autobiography and why athletes are terrible at describing what it is they just did. Um, you know, he's also written beautiful essays about uh, Roger Federer that yeah. I think is maybe the best essay about Federer mm -hmm. ever written. But he describes what it takes mentally to play a sport and how that doesn't serve you well when you need to be more introspective and look it up, read it. And it, it, you'll, you'll go, Oh, now I get it. Now I get why these guys are such great athletes. Yeah. Okay. Because their head is not cluttered with extraneous thoughts. Yeah. They really are in the moment. Yeah. They really are thinking about one shot at a time. He wrote an essay about Michael Joyce, who is this, you know, middling 
tennis pro, and he described him as staring at the air in front of his face, which I always wow. really stuck with me. That's so good. Um, That's his friend, right? That was one of his friends that was, and he was like... Became, yeah, I think yeah. they became friends. And yeah, I mean, he's he Michael Joyce then became a tennis pro, but part of the the gist of the essay was here's this guy who's in the top hundred in the world at this one thing. And yet he is still so far away from Roger Federer at that thing. That's right. So it was just, you know, getting into the levels, which in golf may not exist quite as often. Um, I think in golf, the 200 ranked player in the world will beat the number one ranked player in the world far more often than in tennis. Absolutely. Um, but you know, probably not over the course of a season. I guess you just need to stretch it out further. But there is a there's a, a a beautiful book written again about that very issue in the last year or two years. I've forgotten the name of the mathematician who wrote the book, but in essence, he he did the disparity between the best, the average, and the worst of every single sport. And in every single sport, it's twenty and upwards of forty percent between the best and the worst. Hmm. And in golf, what would you guess it is the best in the average and the best in the worst between the very best on the pga tour and the average tour player is three percent between the very best and the worst is seven percent no other sport comes close to being that condensed and so therein lies the difficulty if you think that you can predict the winner of a golf tournament you've lost your mind (laughs) Um, we've tried (laughs) yeah (laughs) right uh you know and it were every Wednesday night on our live rooms, we were turning like, who's going to win? And, and you know, I can tell you, it's an interesting way win. to talk about the tournament that's about to happen. But yeah, beyond exactly. that, it's you got to do it, right? right? You got to say who you, you think is going to win. And and I always said because when we first started doing it, David Duvall and Frank, they're they're loath yeah. to make a pick, right? Yeah. Loath. And you know, we're going to look like idiots. And I was like, listen. You know, nobody will remember if you get it wrong. Right. Because everybody gets it wrong. Yeah. There's 156 guys. Um, but every now and then you'll get one right. And then everybody will remember. Well, this year, David Duvall, um, he uh, he guessed the first two. Wow. He guessed the first two. So he... he I like he, how you said guessed. He, he, he guessed. Because <laughs> he did. Right. No, he said... You know, what did he say? He said, Tiger Woods got that look in his eye, right? I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. you use some, He's you know, abstract. I love you know, that. And yeah. then Tiger won. And then uh, we Brooks. went to the U.S. Open. Uh, Brooks I'm PGA. sorry, went to the PGA. Yeah. And he was like, I like Brooks. And and damned if he didn't win. We got to the U.S. Open. And we were like, hey, who you got, David? Who you got, got David? You know. Um, who did he pick? Hey, he not, didn't not pick Gary, Gary Woodland. Woodland. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Gary would have been a fine pick. But, uh but anyway, every now and then you get them right. And as I told David, I said, you know, people will remember when you get them right. But, you know, when I'm getting ready to do a show, I'll, I'll analyze all 50 players in the top 50 in the world. I don't spend that much time on other players outside the top 50, but I'll spend a lot of time on them. And then you try to get the best possible reason for mm-hmm. saying somebody's going to win. Um, you know, no, I mean, look, everybody does it differently, but, you know, you, you're trying to come up with a very specific reason why they're going to win and why somebody else isn't going to win. All right, last question for me, because I know there's probably a glass of red wine with your name on it in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the clubhouse <laughs> before long. But I'm wondering what puzzles have your interest right now or what – maybe it's not the golf swing, but people on tour, whether it's Bryson DeChambeau and his mind or Jordan Spieth and what's happened to his uh, – his game, Rory McIlroy versus Kepka and the whole evolution. What's piquing your interest right now? 
Well, you, it's a great question. I, I love that. Um, you know, outside of golf, the political world, I love to dive into. I, I, I bring it on. I, yeah, I, uh, I spend far too much time. We are in the south, right diving now. into that rabbit hole. So I, I, I love studying that. Um, but in the in the golf world, you know, I'm constantly asked, you know, will Jordan Spieth come back? What happened to Jordan Spieth? So you, you know, you you dive into that world, and you know, look his teacher probably gets upset with us but we you know we've we have reached out to Cameron McCormick they're not always willing to sort of tell us everything they're working on so you kind of have to connect the dots on your own but but it's it's how Phil picked up the yardage and 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 why it didn't help him to the extent that it helped Cameron Tregali right so how Cameron Tregali picked up the yardage uh how Rory can be a better wedge player um you know why he struggles with his wedge game um you know, I, I look at uh, the ladies' tour, and I'm still trying to make sense of why Michelle Wee would have changed her golf swing to the extent that she changed it. What happened to Yanni Sen? What happened to Lydia Ko? Why isn't Nellie Corda and Jessica Corda? Why aren't they dominating? Will they dominate? Mm-hmm. Should they dominate? Are they going to dominate? Nellie's looking closer to dominance than ever. Yeah, they, absolutely. Only only Jen Young Ko hits, hits more greens than she does, and it's like, you know, Nellie needs to – she needs to figure out how to putt, you know, and if she, you know, I mean, but again, their stats are not quite great enough. So putts per green is not always an accurate representation or rarely a representation. But, um, you know, I, I look at the long drive and, I, and I'm, I'm imploring the long drive to have a, um, an accuracy element to it because people dismiss the long drive as uh, freaks and not golf. And if they had an accuracy element to the long drive, everybody in the world wants to know who's the longest, straightest driver. And if they had a disparity aspect to the long drive, you would end up with some really cool move Mm -hmm. that is different from the longest move. Interesting. Come on, Golf Channel. And and I'd I'd, I'd, add that layer. I'd I'd, I'd be, I'd be all over that. you know, I, again, I, I like uh, trying to trying to dig up how Molinari turned his short game around. So that's why I went to see Ridyard. Um, you know, I I what is really curious to me is that Kyle Berkshaw won the long drive this year, and Chloe Chloe won the ladies long drive. They both used the exact same shaft. Okay, no difference in CPM, exact yeah. same shaft. So that's a shaft made. Uh, it's a Patterson shaft. And so I saw that they were both using the same shaft, so I wanted to know more about it. I flew out and met the designer of that shaft uh, because that just seemed inconceivable to me. Um, and then I got some of those shafts, and I took them out. I picked up eight miles an hour ball speed straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff intrigues me. So the distance issue, I was talking to the designer of that. And I said, you know, they're going to roll the ball back. Uh, I think they're going to roll the ball back. And he goes, listen, if they roll the ball back, we will solve those problems in a week. Whatever loss there is, we will solve. He goes, I make a club right now that conforms to the CT standards that you can swing 95 miles an hour that will hit a ball 300 yards. And I said, he goes, it's got a computer chip in it. He goes, but I, he goes, you know, it's not just a ball issue. Hmm. It's a collision issue. It's yeah. a ball club issue that you have to solve. So when anybody says they got to roll the ball back, they're missing the larger issue of it's a collision issue. It's about the club and the ball that you have to change in concert. So I think the distance issue is going to be a big 
topic of conversation this year because it's going to come to a head. Martin Slumber said on our set at the Open, said as much. Everything he said was tacitly saying we were going to roll the club, roll the ball back. And, you know, I know he'll get pushback on that. And uh, you got a lot on your plate then. If these are yeah. all the puzzles that we're I trying know, to figure I out. This. Yeah. And then there's my own golf game. Yeah. You know, it's, I know. You know, I uh, didn't play for Eon. So trying to put my, I'm going to Q school uh, first week of December. So, nice. yeah. So, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm testing Where? it pretty much every day. It's Where at uh, Scottsdale TPC champions course. And, you know, that's a tough Q school. They only have like five spots or something. So I'm playing the Pebble Beach Invitational week after next, and then I'm going to Q school. So, you know, I'm practicing my, my rear off. Well, good luck. One, Thanks for one more for me. Let's go. This is the way to do it. You say you have one more and then actually you have <laughs> multiple more. Who's the best PGA Tour player in the world and – how many, you know, if this was the Oscars, how many nominees would there be? How many people are there that are capable of holding that title? Well, there's Rory, there's Tiger, uh, there's Brooks, um, and that's it right now. There's, there's. Oh, I'm sorry, Justin Thomas would be in that conversation. See, um, Justin I Thomas would you. be in that conversation. So there's four, and they, you know, they would be up. If this were the Oscars, those four would be up, and. Get their, their face on the screen. You know, it's good. Uh, if, if if Rory's wedge game is sharp this year, you know he look he's younger than Tiger. I mean Tiger's forty three. Mm-hmm. It's like how how often are we going to see him like he was at the Zozo? I, I don't know, but I still maintain he has. Rory's probably got the best overall golf swing in the game. I always say Tiger's is, but Tiger's is with everything but the driver. Tiger's driver yeah. swing's not as good as his iron swing. Um, but uh, you know I'll, I'll tell you you know last week Bermuda was on, okay, and I walk into our our set and I said, look, Bermuda's on. Nobody's going to be watching, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to tape and cut off every single putting stroke of Denny McCarthy, okay? Every single oh. one of them. I said... Canadian tour legend, Denny okay, McCarthy. Denny McCarthy has a cult following in the world of golf for his ability to putt. Everybody in the news, nobody even knows who he is. And I'm like, I'm just telling you, he's the best putter in the world. Like, Jordan Spieth had an epic year last year on the greens. Yeah. Only one person beat him, and that was Denny McCarthy, yeah. who the year before was the premier putter on the Corn Ferry Tour. He's only played a few events so far this year. He's already first, second, or third in strokes game putting, and he's got the most beautiful putting stroke. And I tried to find it everywhere I could on YouTube. You couldn't really find it. So, you know, I'm watching Bermuda just to see his putting stroke. And then I look at it, and it reminds me of Horton Smith's putting stroke, which is the best putting stroke in the world ever. It's Sam Snead of Golf Swing's putting stroke. And then, that's putting, the best chipper is Ben On. So I want them to cut off all of Ben On's chipping. So it's like, who does who chips like Ben On? And then there's Brett Rumford out of the bunker. So it's like, what does Brett do? So, you know, you go try to find the best and figure out what the hell they do. And These uh, are the other awards. Yeah, when know, I think best, Oscars. I always think Brett Rumford. That's... Brett Rumford, you watch Brett chip. You go to his Instagram account. You watch him chip. You watch him hit bunker shots. And I actually asked Rory this. I said, uh, I did an interview with Rory this year somewhere. Uh, we did a clinic. And I said, you know, take me through the bag. Exclude yourself. Who is the best at every individual aspect of the game? When we got to bunker play, you know, I thought he was going to say Luke Donald. Oh, no. You know, and because that would have probably been my Yes, and he goes, well, I'm going to go a little off the radar and just say Brett Rumford, <laughs> and he is the best bunker player. And so you know, I went online and I started following. I was like, oh, yes, he's unbelievably good. And, you know, with chipping, he said he liked Phil Mickelson because Phil keeps it pretty simple. Um, but Molinari's really turned his chipping around thanks to uh, work with James Ridyard. 
So I flew over and met with James just to talk to him, find out what the hell you did. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it'll be somebody else in a month, you know, somebody yeah. else will be on and you go try to find out what they did and, you know, cause I'll have a show to do and I want to share it with our audience and y'all want to write about it. I love it. You know? love it. Well, thank you for joining us. Good luck at Q School. Thanks. Appreciate Everything it. you're nice, doing. Nice joining you guys. We love you. Yeah, I appreciate so. that, Sean. Thanks, Dylan. I appreciate it. And what's the gist? I mean, did you did you hit some good shots with uh, George Gankus? I mean, was it a lot of pressure yeah. on you to hit oh, golf I'm, balls I'm in front of the most? I'm fully converted to the Church of Gankus. Nice. Yeah, so range, nice. range session. I'm going to be working Coming on up. my turn to nice. turn. Right? Yeah. Big turn. More Shout turn everywhere. <laughs> right? How about you? Yeah, I mean, he, I got more to work on. I mean, I've got okay. some hip rotation. I've got no more cupping of the wrist and the backswing, nice. uh, extension throughout the backswing. Nice. There's a lot going on. Nice. And it's too but bad it, this is a podcast because the world can't see your beard. It's the greatest beard in the history. If there were a museum for the greatest beards, beard in golf, uh, I was be hoping a, there'd, we be a, get there'd, be a, there'd be a statue of you in the front with that I'm going to send this to my mother. Right? She needs to appreciate your new voicemail. I mean, <laughs> the bent grass at Augusta is not cut like that. That's good stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Brandel. <laughs> I enjoyed it, fellas. All right, major thanks to Brandel Shambly, one of the best analysts in golf, perhaps the best analyst in golf. You can find him year-round providing that analysis for the Golf Channel. Next up, I imagine we'll see him at the President's Cup down in Australia. That's not too far out from right now. That's it for the Drop Zone today. We'll be back here next week with another interview, this time with Chris Como. See you then.